0: All right, well, good morning. I wanna invite you to open in God's word this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter five, we're in a series right now called Biblical Justice and really looking for God's word to define our understanding of what justice is all about. Justice is one of those buzzwords that's all around us, that's used in lots of ways. And so we're really trying to allow God's word to give us the understanding that we need to apply it rightly and pursue it rightly. Um, As you're turning there, I wanna share something that like I, I was Really encouraged by and excited by this this week um, if you 're part of the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary uh, in this room if you 'll just lift your hand whether you 're an administrator, faculty, a student, we are so grateful for you. I just want to say thank you i 'm so thankful that you 're in our city i 'm so grateful because um, God continues to send these amazing men and women to our city to come and to be equipped. Um, and I love the, the the phrase that Jamie Dew uses over there, you know, prepare here, serve anywhere. Um, and and that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, one of the things that we have the great joy as a church in New Orleans is to have a relationship with a seminary where we get to help equip students. And so part of that equipping for pastoral ministry and all that is having these little groups, these little mentor groups. And so once a week, I get to meet with a group of seminary students who are preparing for ministry. And we talk about all kinds of aspects. We've practiced doing baptisms in the baptistry, um, taking turns baptizing each other, learning that we we practiced the Lord's Supper. We've done all these things, but one of the things that we we just did this past week was we went out and we did evangelism in City Park, and so we were trying something a little bit different. We went out there and we were using the three circles, but we we set up a whiteboard and we were in a pavilion in a crowded area, and we just started sharing the, the three circles with each other, and people were kind of watching and looking all that. We were thinking maybe this might start some conversation. Well, guess what? None. Like, I mean, it was just like, we were like, okay, well, that was a bust. You know, like, let's not do that again. Um, I love trying new things. And so we were out there doing that. Follow-up text message from one of the guys. He says, guys, y'all are not going to believe this. He said, my wife, her coworker that she's been praying for said, hey, I think I saw your husband out at City Park with a group of guys doing something on a whiteboard. What were they doing? The wife said, they were doing the three circles. What's the three circles? Let me share with you. And right there at the workplace, share the gospel with her coworker, and I don't think she's come to faith yet, but she heard the gospel. And God used that in an incredible way. So I just want to say that to encourage you, you never know. Like something you would strike up as a complete failure, God can redeem and use in an incredible way. And so keep going with the gospel. New Orleans Seminary, thank you for your presence in our city to want to get out in the city and to do ministry. And we're thankful that we get to be part of that together. This morning as we turn and we look at this final sermon in, in uh, this biblical justice series, I've, I would entitle this sermon, Be Reconciled to God be reconciled to God. Now, why would I title it that? Because that is the one imperative statement that Paul has in the passage that we're going to consider today. He says, be reconciled to God. That's what he is pleading with everyone to experience, reconciliation to God. Be reconciled to God. And so this morning, I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's word as we honor God as he speaks to us, beginning in verse 16 of chapter five in 2 Corinthians. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Father, I pray that today through the reading and the preaching of your word, that you would produce exactly what your word calls for reconciliation to you. Because in that, we experience all that is needed to experience reconciliation with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. What we're after as we talk about justice truly is a reconciliation. That if this happens, then a corresponding action takes place on the other side. That if If this relationship is severed, then something happens to to reconcile what has happened with the severance of that relationship. We're always trying to achieve this balance of this has happened, now this. And what we struggle with as believers, I'm going to go ahead and make the assumption that today, the majority of this room are people that would say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior that that's that's where you would identify, you would say, I know Jesus and I follow him. So I'm gonna speak to us in that way. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, you are welcome in this room, always welcome in this room. And I would ask that you would carefully consider this message that Paul is putting forward as you think about some of the things that you experience in your life and the things that we would call injustices in our world and consider if this message is sufficient for what you would say is needed for justice. So to us who are believers, we struggle if we're thinking about the, the systems of injustice that we see. Not only individuals who 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 do acts of injustice, but the systems that maybe are in place that we would say, well, that's an, an, an unjust system. Is the gospel sufficient to deal with these things? Is it narrow-minded or even simplistic or naive for us to believe that our faith is able to be catalyst, catalyst enough, a catalytic event enough for things to happen that change not only individuals, but then change entire systems? Is it wise for us to think in these ways? On the basis of God's word, I would say yes, that it is right and good and called for, for us to see that everything pivots and changes through Jesus. And I want us to see it today in his word, using this idea of be reconciled to God for us to then consider and and carry this application into our world today. So let's allow the text to speak for itself and then make application at the end. First of all, what we see in this text, beginning back in verses 16 and 17 is this, be reconciled to God because it fully changes people. Be reconciled to God because it fully changes people. Notice that Paul begins at verse 16, he says, God reconciled people do not judge anyone by outward appearances. I mean, let's just start with that, right? Judging by outward appearances. Now, we know that's not right to judge a book by its cover. But we continue to struggle with doing that, right? To look at someone based on their skin color, based on their clothing, based on a bumper sticker, based on a Facebook post, based on a lot of things and say, I I think this person is this kind of person. And we kind of have a system of, of, of association that we've kind of rolled together and we just kind of drop that person over in that bucket of, of an entire system of understanding of who they are, what they believe, how they vote, what, what, they, what they hold on certain key issues. We just kind of drop them in that bucket of identity and we move on. Now, some of that may be warranted. There may be some truth, they may identify with some aspects of that bucket, but but how many times when somebody's dropped you in a bucket of identity, did it fit completely? That everything that they assumed about you was spot on? They nailed you. Other than your spouse, people have probably been pretty wrong about that. Paul says from now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective What's he saying there? Literally saying, according to the flesh. We don't know anyone in this way. God reconciled people do not judge anyone by outward appearance. Now, what could Paul have judged people by? Well, there was plenty of criteria that he was judging people by that were built into his system. Circumcised or uncircumcised, Jew or Gentile free or slave, male or female. These were ways that the culture in which he found himself had clearly made buckets for people that they belonged in. According to these things, you say, but well, Chad, there there was Jew or Gentile. Chad, there, there was free or slave. Chad, there was male or female, and there continues to be male or female today. But what Paul is communicating is not that there isn't gender, not that there isn't free or unfree, not that there isn't Jew or Gentile, that those categories no longer exist, but that those things no longer matter. That's not what defines the person any longer in Christ. He is saying, I see everybody, everybody completely different now. I no longer make value-based judgments on person just based on circumcised or uncircumcised. I no longer say, well, you know, men and, and then women. No, I set those things aside. I no longer live, give, give um, preference to free while I overlook slave. No, I see everyone different. Everyone. As I have conversations with black brothers and sisters, that is one of the things that grieves them most in these moments is when they experience looks where they feel in that moment, warranted or not all of the time, but they get the sense, they feel that they're being put in a bucket, that their concerns about racism are just completely ignored. That, that what they're saying is a problem, other people are saying that is not a problem. That dismissive attitude is wearing them down. It is wearing them out. And just like it would for any one of us, it causes frustration. And it causes this desire to withdraw from those that have those looks, who, who give that sense of things. And instead within the body of Christ, we should be the ones that show we don't look at anyone the same anymore. We see each other beautifully made in the image of God, fully redeemed by His blood. We see one another with the incredible dignity that God placed on Jesus Himself. We see each other esteemed. We see each other rightly. We value one another's experiences. We listen carefully to one another. We love one another deeply. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, Chad, I'm doing that, then keep doing it. Please don't hear me popping your hand as if you're not. But if there is a part of you today that if you were honest said, you know, I have been pretty dismissive, feeling like some of these things are just being politicized, they're blown up and they're all this, I would encourage you, I would encourage you, go to to lunch with someone who looks different than you. Ask them about their experience. Just listen, just listen. And I promise you, you will experience a greater sympathy and empathy and union within this body than you ever would if you just assume you already get it, that you already know. So we're making application as we go be reconciled to God because it fully changes people. Paul continues, he says, God reconciled people see Christ rightly. They see Christ rightly. He goes on, he says, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Well, what's he talking about there? You know, knowing Christ from a worldly perspective. Well, obviously there were several ways that they could have known Jesus from a worldly perspective as a Jew. Number one was as a fellow Jew. They considered Christ esteemed because he was of the circumcision party. We, we, we know that that he was circumcised. We, we know that he was circumcised on the eighth day, according to the law of Moses. These things are recorded in Scripture, and so he is in that group for Paul, and he could know him in that way. Jesus could have also been known in the flesh according to who his parents were, and well, that was a little dicey. There was some speculation that God was his father, but everybody knew that Joseph was his father and that things got a little out of order there. Before they were married, she was found to be with child and had a child. And so he could have been known according to the flesh in that way. He could have been known according to the flesh by other people just as like being a really good guy, like somebody that was easy to follow, easy to listen to, definitely somebody that did good things for people and so known him from this moral perspective. Paul reveals that he actually knew him from the flesh as a threat, as one who came in and disrupted what was the truth for God's people. In fact, Paul, previously Saul, was so committed to knowing Jesus from the flesh that he persecuted those who knew Jesus as king, because it was a threat. It was this It was this errant belief system that was threatening the Jewish faith. And so he held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. But then he says, but if if I knew him by all of these things, by his Jewishness or the scandalous birth story or by his morality or really even by his beliefs, I no longer know him in these ways. I know him as king now. You see, we do not see Christ as a Jew, you know that's a a belief that has crept in within evangelicalism i would say over the last 100 years is of primarily knowing jesus as a jewish person so that there's this great great identity and elevation of him of of his jewishness of his messianic you know identity and what ends up becoming the case is we kind of do this jewish supremacy where where we say you know well Jews are really the best of all people. I mean, Jesus was a Jew. And so we kind of do this Jewish supremacy and Paul would say, that is not the case. That is not the case. We no longer see people in that way. We no longer elevate Jew over Gentile. We do not see Christ as just a good man. That would be moral supremacy. You know, that's the the common refrain today in our own culture is, you know, like, just, just be like Jesus. You know, Jesus did good things, but Jesus also walked on water. Amen. Jesus was able to speak to storms and calm them. Jesus was able to forgive sins. Jesus was able to just speak and it would happen. All of these things, and there's a great movement among Christians that are like, you know, that's the power of our words, you know, like the word faith movement. If you just believe it and you say it, then it will happen. You know, it's interesting that that's not what we see manifest in the scriptures. That's not the application that we see the disciples applying. It's this radical, better watch your words because anything you say is going to happen because now you have the, the, the verbal authority of God. So be careful what you say. Instead, what we see them as humbling themselves and crying out to God to do what God alone can do. We do not see Christ as just one of many gods. That would be Hinduism or Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses. Instead, what we see is Christ as King and King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the gracious and exclusive way to the Father. God reconciled people, verse 16b, is we see Christ rightly. If we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we do not know him in this way. Therefore, he goes on, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. See, the new has come. God-reconciled people are continually new. God-reconciled people are continually new. I have a new car. Well, okay, it was new to me in 2018 when it was given to me as a 2008 Ford Explorer. Okay, it's a 2008 Ford Explorer, but it's a new car. Can I really say that? No. You see, the newness of a vehicle is found only at the beginning, the year in which it was created. And then every year after that, the newness of it depreciates until recently when used car prices spiked. But the reality for us as a new creation is Paul latches on to some specific grammar that was available to him to really communicate that our newness is ongoing. Our newness stays new. We we can't look back and say, well, you know, I I was new when I was 16. It was a new creation. I'm not so new anymore. My newness is worn off. No, the new has come, is what Paul says. And the tense of the verb that he uses there carries the meaning fully to the original audience to help them understand, and that newness never wears off. You have not been created new in Christ to then become old again. To go back to the old ways, to the old ways of thinking, the old ways of living, you have been made new in order for that newness to be on display every day. You see, when anytime somebody gets something new, like a new car, i of like to go outside and just look at it. I'm gonna check the mail again. Just, didn't you just, I know, but I just wanna check it again. And you just kind of walk and you see that shine on that car and you just like to look at it. Any chance you get, you're looking at that newness because it just shines as it's new. Brothers and sisters, we are supposed to shine like stars in the universe. I love that our pastor emeritus, David Crosby, that was one of the the things that really captured his pastorate. And it's something that's supposed to still characterize us today. We are supposed to shine brand new, made new. Whether you've been walking with the Lord for a minute or for the last 80 years, you are supposed to shine new revealing that you belong to him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, done, and see the new has come. And that newness is still on effect. This reconciliation to God that fully changes people is something that changes us to the uttermost it changes us in the deepest ways that we need changing. You see, when Paul goes through here and he communicates about this newness of perspective, I mean, think about just how liberating it is to see things rightly. That was one of the first fruits in my own life when I became a follower of Jesus Christ. I had the wrong view of my great-grandmother, Momal Munzi is what we called her. Except we kids called her Old Momo because she lived with my grandmother, and there was Momo and then Old Momo. And that's what we called her. And I wish that I could say we treated her with the respect that she was worthy, but we didn't. We tormented her at times and her little dog, her little chihuahua. I, oh, <laughs> it wasn't that bad. You know, we didn't, we didn't harm the animal, okay? Let me just say that. We just would put our foot by him and he would bite our shoes, you know, so. But when I was born again, and I grew up poor, I shared this with you guys. We drove this really, you know, like rundown vehicle that was kind of embarrassing when you're in high school to get picked up in. And then my, my mom on Munzee, she had really big white hair that kind of just was out everywhere. and And, and so your worst, I mean, like just, you know, you're just like, oh, as a as a high school freshman, you know, to have to get picked up in front of school in this really rundown, like it was wrecked on one side and we didn't get it fixed. I mean, it was just like, oh, so bad. And then Mama Munsey was in the front seat. Because, you know, you want to ride shotgun, but you know you got to get in the back. And and your great-grandmother is in the front seat. And everything about that moment for me, this is like right after I became a believer, should have just like sent me to the ground. Like, please don't let anyone see me, especially any girls, you know, like and just climb in and slink down to the floorboard and be like, go, go fast. But I am telling you, God changed the way I saw my, I delighted in that moment where everything about the world should have been like, hide, hide. I was like, Momo Muncie. I even remember being like, what is this? Like, what is this new love for my great-grandmother? And can I tell you that that love never diminished until she died? I had a love that was not there before to rightly view my great-grandmother, who after several years of my mom faithfully witnessing to her, came to faith in Christ before she died. God changes us not because he's like I've, ch- I've saved you now to go read a book about how to be right no he reaches in and changes you that's what he does he sets your affections right now does that mean that nothing nothing is is wrong now everything's right every the way that I see anything and think about anything well that's just the right way because I thought it no no that newness has become new. That newness is like, it's like breaking out of something that has a crusty shell around it. Those, those crusty layers that now are around that truth, that newness within me are coming off one bit at a time. And some of you are helping chisel off some of those, those, those barnacles that are on this crusty old soul. And I'm thankful for that. That's the importance of sharing life together of doing life together so that we can come in and God use one another to sharpen one another. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's how God is ordained for us to be reconciled to him. Second, what we see as we continue to go through this passage is that, that we should be reconciled to God through Christ alone. You see, this big deal is made about how God changes people to the uttermost But this is where we get a little antsy. Is is it really just Jesus? Is it really just Jesus? Is God really ordained that just Jesus would be the way? I I want us to look at the passage and I want us to consider carefully what it says. Now first, in this first reading, what I want us to do in verses 18 and 19, I just want you to keep your eyes on God. Just keep your eyes on God. So let's walk through it together, okay? Everything is from God, okay? Everything is from God. Now, is he talking about just like, you know, is Paul just moved into this cosmological argument where everything is from God? No, it's in the application of this newness. Everything about that new creation that you are, everything about that newness that is gonna keep shining in you is from God. So don't remove that that statement of Paul from the context. He's talking about this new creation that God has done. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself. Okay, so God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Second, third, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation and it's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Moving into verse 19, God ha- was, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So again, God doing this work. Then it goes on, and God's the one being modified here. God not counting their trespasses against them. So God's no longer holding our sins against us. And then God committed the message of reconciliation to us. So seven times, like, God is being talked about in this passage. So did you you see God? Did you see how God was working in this passage? Did you keep your eyes on God? Okay. Now, with that in mind, I now want you to look for Christ in these two verses. So let's look and see. Starting back, right back at verse 17, because that's the context that bleeds into this one. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So he starts off there, like if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. He, He doesn't speak of any other ways of becoming a new creation other than Christ. Moving into verse 18. Christ is the means of reconciliation. Look what he says. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. So Christ is the means of the reconciliation that God does. Keep going. And it's given us the ministry of reconciliation. So Christ is the content of the ministry of reconciliation. I mean, how do we become a new creation? How are we reconciled to God? Only through being a new creation in Christ. Okay, so we're seeing Jesus a lot here. Keep moving down into verse 19. That is in Christ, which is a favorite statement of Paul. I mean, he uses it over 160 times in his writings. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He says, that is in Christ, God was was reconciling the world to himself. And so Christ is the location of the reconciliation with God. You're only reconciled to God in Christ. Christ is how our trespasses are no longer counted against us. That's what, that's what he's communicating. It's only in Christ that God no longer holds your sins against you. And then he goes on that Christ is the content of the message of reconciliation, which God has committed to us. Again, how are people reconciled to God? Only through Jesus and what he has done. And then finally, as ambassadors for Christ, moving into verse 20, as ambassadors belonging to Christ, God makes his appeal through us. You see how many times we saw Christ in these verses? You know, it's it's almost like everywhere we see God, we see Christ. And everywhere we see Christ, we see God reconciling a lost and sinful world back to himself in in a loving relationship through Christ. Don't miss it. The reason you see God and Christ so closely bound there is because they are inseparable as it relates to your salvation and your reconciliation. You can't be reconciled to God without Jesus Christ. And you cannot be ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors for Jesus Christ, without God. You're dependent creatures. You and I are dependent on God for reconciliation, which he has made available in Christ. And then we look to Christ who increases our dependence on God as we go out with this ministry of reconciliation. It is this beautiful relationship that God knows as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that he then shares with us to walk with him as ambassadors in Christ. Don't miss it. Be reconciled to God through Christ alone. And you say, well, isn't that narrow of God to only provide one way for us to be saved? I mean, isn't that, isn't that almost just like rude given how limited people have access to this gospel message? What we forget is that we don't deserve any way back to God. You see, that's the message that the gospel begins with is that we are broken. We are sinful. We don't deserve a way back to God. If you think you deserve a way back to God, you don't understand just how bad you are. You don't realize how sinful you are. You are underestimating your native condition in a sinful world as a sinner to say, I deserve a way back. I'm better than most. You are judging by outward appearances. You are in need of this message of reconciliation that changes the way that you view people because when you rightly come in to the faith, you begin to say like Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the last one. I'm the one who is deserving least of his grace. And that changes everything about the way you relate to others. Be reconciled to God because it fully changes people. Second, be reconciled to God through Christ alone. But then Paul ends here. Be reconciled to God that justice may be done. Be reconciled to God that justice may be done. Look how he concludes. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then this key verse, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I want you to consider just for a moment that the greatest injustice of all is what we just read. The greatest injustice of all is that someone perfectly innocent would die instead of sinful humanity. I mean, just let that just maybe that perspective of the gospel for maybe the first time just hits you that the greatest injustice that ever took place in the history of mankind was that the only innocent one the only innocent one among us died for you and for me and for the worst kind of sinners that you can possibly imagine. How is that justice? I mean, how do you get to justice through injustice? That's the temptation that we're constantly flirting with today in our culture is let's get to a just system by enacting injustice. By by discriminating against this group to give this group justice. If you constantly go at getting justice through injustice, you just end up with more injustice. But gosh, is that what this is? Is the gospel that we believe just an injustice? God punished his son and said, You're forgiven? You see, it would only be justice if 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 the sin Sin that was on this side went fully to this side and the righteousness on this side went fully to this side to where then it was fully balanced. It it would only be justice if Jesus actually really took on the full sin of the world and paid it in full and the full righteousness of Jesus Christ was fully given to you and to me. And in that, you have just... Heard the gospel. That's exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying that's why it's justice because the fullness of the righteousness of God was given, imputed, put on you and on me, and Jesus was made to be sin for us. I mean, notice what he says. He didn't say that Jesus became a sinner. He goes deeper than that. He, he says that he made the one who did not know sin. Literally, he didn't experience it. It wasn't that Jesus was like, I don't know what sin is. He knew what sin was, but he never experienced sin. He, he never committed sin. He didn't know it the way that you and I know sin. He made the one who did not experience sin to be sin for us. There's all of this imagery that we could pull on of of this transferal of sin, of, of all these things, but it is as if all of it is coming down and resting on this person and God is doing to Jesus what he rightly and justly said he would do to sin. Death, punishment, Removal. And everything that Jesus deserved eternal life, freedom from death, a walk with God unhindered all of these things suddenly get credited to your account and to mine. Jesus perfectly paying in full your debt becoming himself sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what God has done for you and for me. And this is the only hope that we have for justice is that we, when we first look at this thing and we say, I think it's injustice, we then step and realize that it was the greatest act of justice that's ever been served. And that it's the only act of justice that can truly change a person fully and that it is fully available only in Christ. And so therefore, it makes perfect sense that God would call you and me to be ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, And so let me just present this question. How good an appeal are we? Do our lives scream, the new has come, and it's continually shining brightly in and through us? Do our lives reveal that this reconciled relationship is only available in Christ? Or are we chasing self-help methods and models more than we are looking to Jesus to make us whole? More than we are looking to Jesus as our identity in Christ? And then finally, are we pursuing justice in a way that truly shows the justice of God fully revealed in the penal substitutionary death of Jesus Christ? him paying for our sin, him substituting for us. Because if anything other than that message is proclaimed with our lives and from our lips, then there's not much of an appeal being made. Jesus humbled himself and came all the way down to get on the floor with us, to live on the ground with us, to take up his residence with us. And I want us to think today about what will it mean for us to get more on the streets of New Orleans to be ambassadors for Christ? What will it mean for us to be engaged, not withdraw from the increase in crime that we know is going on in our city? And it alarms us. What is it going to mean for us to be more faithful ambassadors for Christ, appealing and pleading with others, be reconciled to God? Because the message of the gospel is this we are broken. We not only live in a broken world, but we ourselves are broken people. But that was not God's design. His design was just, his design was good. It was good for us, it was good for our relationship with one another, and it was perfect for our relationship with him. But sin entered into the world and resulted in the separation that we still live in. But God, God reconciled us to himself through Jesus. He sent his son to this world who knew no sin. He was in our brokenness, but was without sin. And then he died on the cross for your sin and for mine. Was then buried in the tomb for three days. But on the third day, God did something to reveal that his son had defeated death and defeated sin. And that's that he raised him from the grave. He was seen by many witnesses. He walked with them, talked with them, ate with them, taught them. And then he ascended into heaven with the promise that one day he will return. And that day is known as the day of the Lord. And it will be a final day. And he is not coming again to die again for the sins of people. He's not coming again to walk in a way that that shows us the way we should go. It's not to do a repeat of the gospels. It is coming to be a day of judgment. And the only way that you and I will be ready for that day is if we are honest with God about our sinfulness and our brokenness. And we turn from it, just being honest, and we turn to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I am following you. Jesus, I am giving you my life. Please forgive me of my sin and come and live in me. The Bible says that when we do, the old is gone, the new has come. And we become a new creation in Christ, growing in our relationship with him. And so the question becomes to each one of us, are you near God's design because you have turned from your brokenness and sin and trusted and followed Jesus alone for salvation, or are you still in your brokenness and sin? This is the message of reconciliation. And while it may seem foolish to apply it to matters of injustice, foolish to apply it to matters of systemic injustice, it is what God has ordained to fully change Everything. This is God's plan. Will you trust him? This is God's plan. Will you take him at his word for the things that you face, for the systems that you see, that you're keenly aware of, that you want to see justice done? Will you take him at his word and then go and be ambassadors for Christ? Acknowledging that we must be reconciled to God. That's what we're all longing for. It's not just just systems, but reconciliation to God. And that is what we're most longing for. That is what we most need. And as that permeates a culture and a people, things change. Everything changes because everything is from God. Father, I pray that in this moment, for the one who maybe for the first time is hearing the gospel and understanding what it is that you have done for us, by causing him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, that they would believe in faith that Jesus died for them, that he perished on the cross for them, and that they would confess their sin this morning and ask Jesus to come in their life. If that's you today, just pray a prayer like this. God, I admit that I am a sinner. And that I am in need of forgiveness. And I believe that you gave Jesus to die on the cross for me. And so today I give you my life. I ask for you to cleanse me completely and to make me new. And I give my life to following you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed a prayer like that, I wanna encourage you that prayed in faith, that marks the beginning of a new creation. The old is gone new has come. And that's something we can celebrate. This morning, I want to invite everyone to stand as we worship in response to the gospel message, as we admit to God our neediness, as we worship Him in spirit and in truth. If you're in desire of prayer this morning, I invite you to come during this time that you might receive prayer. But for every one of us, let us worship in response to the message of God's Word.